9, verse 1 through 10. It says this, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he did. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of my master, because of me, my master has no concern about nothing, anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in his house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. Amen. Please take a seat. Let me pray. Father, we are so thankful for your grace, for your mercy, for your kindness, which is new every single day. And as we open up your word and examine this familiar story, I pray that you would shine light to the depths of our sins and also help us to see the hope in Jesus Christ, the hope that we have in your grace. We thank you, love you, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we are continuing kind of these mini-series of, of looking at the lives of different people in the book of Genesis. And today, I want to bring your attention to one of the most well-known stories in the book of Genesis. It's the story about Joseph and Potiphar's wife. But more importantly, we have to understand that behind all this, it's God. It's God who's working um, his ways, and it's God who's working um, in the life of Joseph. So this, eventually, you're going to see, is going to be the story of God. Sometimes, life does not go as planned. There are times when we are betrayed by people that are close to us. Often, those people are family members. Sometimes, uh, you just have no idea what's going on in your life, and you wonder where God is. And this is kind of the story of Joseph's life. When we think about the life of Joseph, we think about the weird robe that he had with all those colors. Sometimes we think about the success that he had later in life. And in the middle of all of that, we kind of forget all the, the sorrow, the pain, the suffering that he went through in his life. But if you read the book of Genesis word for word, you know, it's, it's quite shocking what he went through. It's quite shocking what God allowed him to go through. Just think about this. Just imagine you are Joseph for a second, okay? You are 17 years old. You're about to graduate from high school, right? And one day, your brothers, they throw you into a pit, not because they think it's funny, but because they really want you dead. 
right? And, and they sell you to this traveling slave trader, not because they want to be compassionate, they want to be merciful, but because they want to make some money off of you. They want to kill you, but they think, oh, if I just kill you, it's going to be a mess. I have to clean that up. And on top of that, I'm not going to gain anything. But one of these brothers, right, he comes up with this idea, Judah, he says, why not just sell him and earn some money, 20 shekels of silver? And just like that, you're taken into a foreign country. You don't even speak the language. You don't know anyone. And once again, you are traded to a house as a slave. And all of this happened when you were only 17 years old. Now, when you look at the life of Joseph, especially his teenage years, I mean, it's so amazing, remarkable for me that Joseph did not go insane. It's incredible that he didn't have this just breakdown in his life and he just lost it all. Right? Joseph, his life was filled with trials. Not only that, his life was filled with temptations. Look at verse 1. It says, Joseph, he was brought to Egypt. He became a slave at the house of Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So he's kind of this high official. He's an Egyptian. And although Joseph was young, the Bible says that he worked hard. He worked with integrity. And eventually he found favor in Potiphar's eyes to the point that he was promoted as an overseer. He was the one who was in charge to to take care of the house when Potiphar was not there. In a sense, he was this executive slave. He was still a servant, a slave, but he had this role where he had control over everything that goes on in the house. To the point that when Potiphar came back home, all that he had to do was just worry about what he's going to eat. You know, he's, all he has to do is just pick a menu that, that's prepared. But then we see in verse 6, at the end of verse 6, it says, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So Joseph, he was a good-looking guy. Not only that, he had a great body, and, you know, he was successful in everything that he did. And this becomes a problem because while Potiphar, he saw Joseph and he found favor, Potiphar's wife, he looked at Joseph with lust. And in verse 7, we're told that after a time, his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. I mean, maybe it was out of loneliness that Potiphar was not a great husband, so he was always absent. He was always busy doing the things that he needed to do for Pharaoh. So maybe that's what motivated her. I don't know. Maybe she was just wicked and lustful to begin with. We don't know exactly what motivated her all of a sudden. But we see that she kind of throws a clear temptation to Joseph. And just in case you're wondering what this is all about, this this lady, she's not talking about lying in a bed and just holding hands. That's what she's talking about. She's thinking about going all the way. She's using that term in a very seducive way. And Joseph, as we all know, says no. No, but the master's wife, she doesn't listen. You know, she's pretty persistent. And so in verse 10, it says, day after day, she spoke like this. She, she came to Joseph to make a case, to make an appeal. And Joseph did not listen. So while facing temptation, uh, a lot of times it's easy for you to have victory in one case. A lot of times it's, it's easy for you to kind of avoid that temptation once. But if that temptation is repeated in your life, it's really hard to avoid um, and, and, and that temptation. You know, just think about dieting, right? A lot of times my wife always t- tells me, you know, I need to cut down my soda. And I try for a couple of days, 
You know, Pastor Joe would offer me a can of soda. Actually, I do this to him, right? When he's kind of staying away from the soda, I would offer him a can of soda. He would resist uh, one day. The next day, he would resist. And Pastor Joe goes pretty well with that. But for me, when I see soda multiple days, especially when no one is looking, I just chug it down, right? The more you're exposed to a temptation, the more you're prone to fall into that temptation. So notice the nature of this temptation, that it's so appealing, so, so, and, and, and it's constant, that's why this temptation is, is so deadly. And so Joseph, his life was filled with trials, and also his life was filled with temptations. Yet, the Bible says he remained pure, he remained faithful, he kept his integrity. And I think this begs the question, how? How in the world did Joseph overcome these temptations? I mean, we face a lot of temptations in our lives. Maybe not in the same way. Maybe you don't have a woman who's trying to seduce you. But in different shapes, different forms, we have all sorts of temptations that are striking us, that are trying to lead us astray, that are trying to lead us away from God. And the question is, how do you remain faithful to God when your life is just filled with trials, with suffering, with pain and evil and temptations? How do you do it? Well, I just want to highlight a couple things uh, from the text. The first one is this. Joseph had victory over temptation because he called sin, sin. Joseph had victory over temptation because he called sin, sin. Look at verse 8. Look at what Joseph, how Joseph responds to Potiphar's wife when she says, let us lie together. He says, but he refused and said to the master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So you see here that Joseph, he's aware of the power and the position that he possesses. He even goes on to say, man, my master, he's not greater than me in this household. That's how highly he thinks of me. I'm pretty much an extent to who he is, right? He, he made me in charge of everything in this household. He knows that he's in a position where he can schedule everyone, like all the servants, and work things out so that he would have this slot where it's just him and, and the wife, and he can sin in secret and no one will know. He has that power. Not only that, he can justify his actions. I mean, Potiphar never said that you can't have my wife, right? And if you think about it, yeah, I mean, the master said you can have anything in the household. You are the overseer. I mean, does that mean I should oversee the wife too? Maybe she's lonely. Maybe there's some sort of need in her. Maybe I'll just be a friend for her and kind of, you know, be there for her. There's so many different ways in which he could have just, when he could have justified his actions. So many different ways he could have explained himself. Yet, Joseph, what he says is, my master, he trusts me, and therefore I'm going to be trustworthy. My master, he granted me this trust, therefore I must be trustworthy. You are my master's wife, and I don't think it's the right thing to do to take you to sleep with you. And he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 9. He takes it another step further and he says, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Great wickedness and sin against God. 
when, when Joseph sees, um, sees that, that if he, he, he understands that when he sleeps with the wife, when he lies down with her, he knows that he's not just harming the wife. He knows that he's not just harming his master in a sense that he's taking advantage of his master's wife, but eventually he knows that he's ultimately sinning against God, that his actions are not just offensive to other people, that his actions are actually offensive to God. Sin is an offense to God. You know, one of the first things that you normally do when you struggle with a particular sin, when you have the sin come up over and over again, is you struggle to label it as sin. No, you say you get angry, you struggle with anger, but you say, you say you, it runs in the family. I'm just born with it. You say you struggle with gossiping, but you say it's a bad habit, right? Maybe some of you struggle with sexual immorality, that you struggle with impurity in your relationships, but you say, well, everyone else does it. That's just part of our culture. I mean, I know it's not the best thing to do, but I mean, that's what everyone else does. Though there are times that we might be tempted to cheat, that we might be tempted to, to, to jeopardize our integrity when we work or when we study. And we simply say, well, I'm just bending some rules and no one's getting hurt from it. Sometimes we struggle with addiction and we simply say, man, the reason why I struggle with this is because the people around me, because the environment that I'm in, it's because of my circumstances. Do you notice the pattern? Every single thing that I mentioned, the Bible calls sin. But for some reason, we struggle to label it as sin. A sin is a sin. We can come up with different excuses. We can come up with different reasons. We can try to explain why we struggle with this and why we kind of put ourselves in certain situations. But the Bible is pretty clear. It calls sin, sin. Not just a bad idea, not just an unfortunate kind of behavior, but it says this is a sin. And Joseph, when he recognizes this temptation, he doesn't say, oh, that's a bad idea. He says, this is great wickedness and sin against God. Joseph saw evil as evil. And that's one thing that we fail to do a lot of times. That even when we see other people, that we're so afraid of being judgmental. And obviously, we don't want to be judgmental. But to the point that we go as far as saying evil is okay. That, that, that sin is not necessarily a sin. It's just a different opinion or a different position. But th the Bible is very black and white. Sin is a sin because what sin is by definition is an offense to God. If something is offensive to God, that is a sin. It doesn't matter what kind of situation you're in. It doesn't matter what kind of history you have within your family or within your life. Sin is a sin if it misses the mark of God. Joseph had victory over, over temptation because, first of all, he was able to call sin a sin. And the question I want to throw out to you is, is there something that you are labeling sin as something else? Is there a sin that you're struggling, but you're having a hard time just saying that it is a sin? And somehow you're trying to make excuses for it. Somehow you're trying to reason so that, you know, you'll feel better about what you're doing. A sin is a sin. Second thing, Joseph had victory over temptation because his source of resistance was not within himself, but it was within God. Joseph had victory over temptation because his source of resistance was not within himself, 
but it was within God. The Bible doesn't say that Joseph had great discipline. It doesn't say that he had great character. In fact, if you see the reason why his brothers got pissed off at him, it was mainly because Joseph, you know, he was a loud mouth. He went around, talked about all these different dreams and telling how the brothers and even the parents were bowing down to him and he was pretty arrogant, pretty prideful. So by no means was Joseph a perfect person. The Bible doesn't say that Joseph was this exceptional, that he had some sort of, you know, ability to self-control everything that goes within him. It doesn't say that he possessed all this wisdom and he knew, knew exactly what was going to happen in the future. Joseph, he simply loved God and feared God. That he cared about God too much. That he went, when he identified this temptation as sin, he cared about his relationship with God way too much. He said, uh-oh, I can't jeopardize my relationship with God. I can't jeopardize my purity before God. I can't jeopardize my righteousness before God because of this sin. His reasoning was not found within. He didn't say, okay, let me control this. Let me kind of, you know, handle this situation. No, he looked to God. The only reason why he fought against this temptation was because of God. And you kind of see this pattern in Psalm 51, the famous psalm that David wrote right after he slept with Bathsheba, right after he killed Bathsheba's husband. And when when, when David was confronted by the prophet Nathan with this simple story, he writes a psalm. He just breaks down. He says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, God, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So what's going on? David, he just committed adultery, committed murder, right? As a king, he basically did something he was not supposed to do as someone who leads the people. He disgraced the family. Yet he says, it's only against you, God, you have I sinned. Why? He knows that he harmed other people along the way. He knows that he offended a lot of people. But he ultimately realizes that the offense that he committed, the things that he did, they were against God. It was, it was in a sense, you know, egregious before God. Why is adultery a sin? Well, other than it's just a bad thing to do. Well, the Bible tells us that marriage is so sacred that it's designed by God that when you violate that covenant of marriage that you are offending God, that you are breaking that unbreakable bond that God created between a man and a woman. And that's why adultery is such a wrong thing. Why is murder such a bad thing other than it's just bloody and bad? Well, it's because murder is an offense against God because Bible says, well, everyone gender or race, created in God's image. Everyone is precious in God's sight, and therefore you should not take someone else's life, someone who's created in the image of God. Murder is a sin because it's an offense against God. Yes, along the way, David hurt a lot of people, and he's not neglecting that. He's not denying that, but eventually what he sees is sin is an offense against God. He sees sin in relation to God. And so when David was able to bring God into the picture. He repented. Here, when Joseph was able to bring God into the picture when he was tempted, he was able to withstand the temptation. Joseph had victory over temptation because his source of resistance was not within himself, but it was within God. Number three, 
Joseph had victory over temptation because he knew not to play with fire. Joseph had victory over temptation because he knew not to play with fire. When Joseph, when he was approached by Potiphar's wife, you know, his first idea is that not that, okay, maybe I'm not going to go all the way with this lady, but maybe I can flirt with her. Maybe I can crack some jokes and, you know, just kind of lighten the mood. Uh, he doesn't say, he doesn't try to reason with her. He doesn't say, let me teach this, this girl a lesson and how to be faithful in marriage. No, he doesn't take those approaches. He simply refuses to be with her. He does not listen to her. He kind of stays away from her. Often, we think we can get close to fire and play with fire without getting burnt. Now we think that we can flirt with sin somehow and not get impacted by those sins. You know, often, you know, we kind of surf around the internet and we see things and we, we're not going with the intention to, 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 to do anything deadly, right? We're not going to the intentions to see maybe pornography or maybe say hurtful things on the internet. You're just roaming around and you're just mindless. And when you spend hours and hours there, you all of a sudden see some uh, you know, wicked comments and you kind of participate in that. All of a sudden you see some provocative pictures and you're like, oh, that triggers something in you. And by the time you're realizing that you're spending hours and hours watching something that you're not supposed to see, sometimes, you know, although drinking itself is not sinful, you know, you wonder how much you can take. You wonder how much you can consume without actually getting drunk. You, can, you want to see how much you can play with alcohol with, without getting burnt. And, and in that case, you know, the, the, and the results are always going to be devastating. Sometimes we just wonder how hard we can party at college, right, or, or, or in life, and, 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 and until, like, you know, before we kind of lose our minds. A lot of times we wonder, how close can I get to this girl this boy in this relationship without actually going all the way. Your concern is not how to honor God in every aspect of your life. Rather, you're trying to figure out how you can tippy-toe along that fine line and not fall into sin. You're playing with fire, and you're hoping not to get burnt. In our sinful nature, we do this all the time, but Proverbs 6.28 says this, Can a man carry fire next to his chest? and his clothes not be burnt? The answer is no. When you take something that God created for good and you take it out of context, you take it to distort it and, and to, for your self-pleasure, and you play with fire, eventually it's going to hurt you. Eventually it's going to burn you up. And Joseph knew this. He didn't try to play with the fire that was in front of him. He just ran away. He just did not talk. He did not flirt with temptation. Rather, he just stayed away. And when this happened, you no, know, Potiphar's wife, we see that she becomes more aggressive. This time, it's not just words, but she literally grabs uh, Joseph, right? And um, there's no one in the house, it says, and she caught him by his garment. And verse 12, it says, once again, lie with me. And the response that Joseph gives is so incredible. It says, but he, Joseph, left his garment in the hand and fled and got out of the house. He did not flirt again. He did not reason with this woman. He just left, running. The best way you can fight temptation is just avoiding temptation. Don't put yourself in a position where you're going to compromise your faith. Don't tippy-toe around fire. Know that victory comes when you don't play with fire. 
Number four, Joseph had victory over temptation because he cared about his purity more than his reputation. Joseph cared about his purity more than his reputation. If you think about this, you know, once Joseph left, he was falsely accused by, um, by Potiphar's wife, right? He was sent to prison. And in one day, he went from this trusted servant, this successful servant, to this disgraceful prisoner. I mean, his reputation was probably, he's a pervert. No, his reputation was basically ruined. And by the way, Joseph probably knew about this. Knew, he was a smart man. He probably knew when he left his garment in that house that something like this was going to happen, that he was in a disadvantage. But it was okay for him. Why? Because he knew that it was better to be thought of a pervert than to be impure. He knew that he would rather be, be, keep his, his purity and his integrity and be thought pure. You know, you see how a lot of times we worry about our reputation. We worry about how other people will view us and what things that they will say to us to the point that we actually don't care about what God thinks about us and what God thinks about what we do. And Joseph, more than the eyes of other people, more than his reputation, he cared about God. And that led him to this decision where he did not compromise his faith. He ran away. So how do you fight temptations? Well, you call sin a sin. You find the source of resistance, not within yourself, but within God. You don't play with fire, and you care about your purity and your integrity and your righteousness more than your reputation. Because at the end of the day, what really matters is not how other people see you. What really matters is how God sees you. And by the way, God sees the depths of your heart. But there's just one last question that we need to solve. What was the result of all this? When Joseph actually kept his integrity, when he kept his purity, what happened to him? He went to jail. Not just one year, not just two years, but way down the road, when Joseph is about 34, 35 years old, that's when he becomes second in charge in Egypt. Remember, Joseph is in his teenage years. For more than 10 years, Joseph, he stayed he, he, he was in prison, he was suffering, and later on, although he had an opportunity you know, to, to, to interpret dreams, one of the, one of the inmates that he, he, was, he was tight with forgot that Joseph exists in the, in, in the cell, and so he spends another couple years being forgotten. All this mess happened. And it begs the question, if this is going to be the story of my life, why should I care about purity? Why should I care about integrity? Why should I care about being right with God when my life is going to be all these kind of pain and hurt? It's going to be filled with all these negative stuff. Well, look at verse 2. It says, when Joseph first arrived in Egypt as a slave at Potiphar's house, it says in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. In verse 4, it says, so Joseph found favor in his sight, and attend him, and made him over, and, and this made him overseer. You know, in verse 3 it says, His master saw the Lord was with Joseph, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And verse 5, the Lord blessed the Egyptian household. Why? For Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field. So it gets even weirder, because the Bible says Joseph was actually blessed during this time. It doesn't say the blessing was going to come later. 
But the Bible actually says Joseph was blessed in the midst of all this suffering and pain and sorrow and, and, and temptations. And it says it again in the end of the chapter, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in, in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made him succeed. Again, this is the picture of success that God gives to you. And the question is, what in the world is this? Do you see a pattern here? The success that God grants is not necessarily a favorable circumstance or an easy situation. The success that God grants you is in the midst of trials and sufferings, number one, that he's going to be with you. Number two, that he's do you, other people are going to find favor and experience God's blessings. Number three, eventually he will redeem you down the road. And that's what we see later on in the book. You know, I always wonder, why wouldn't God answer those prayers, especially maybe people who are struggling with cancer, people who are struggling who, who, with financial situations, and these are nice, good people, decent people, right? And they earnestly pray to God, and God doesn't do anything. That the pain just goes on and on and on. And I wonder, why would God do that? if he's all-powerful, if he's sovereign, if he knows exactly what we need. You know, when Joseph, he became a slave, the Bible says God gave him enough grace so that in the midst of all that trials and tribulation that he would remain faithful to God and because of that, that he would find favor in other people's eyes. The same thing happened in jail. Sometimes God does answer our prayers by ending a situation or by changing a situation. He does answer our prayers like that. Later on, we see that in Joseph's life where he becomes second in command to Egypt. But notice that God also answers our prayers by giving us more grace in the midst of suffering and trials and pain so that we can remain faithful in the Lord. That that is an incredible story. You know, a lot of times I meet people who are about to die. They are suffering they're in pain, and some people, you know, they are cursing God. You know, why would God just put me through this and let things like this happen to me? But then, every now and then, I'll meet people of faith, and they would say, you know, I pray every night that God will heal me. But you know what's so amazing is that in my condition, even when I'm dying, I can still have hope, that somehow I can still rejoice somehow I still have the strength to get up and do something every single day that my life, although I know it's going to end pretty soon, it still have purpose and meaning because of God. That's an incredible testimony. God sometimes answers your prayers by changing your circumstances, but sometimes he also answers your prayers by giving you more grace to remain faithful in your circumstances. And why is this so important? Here's why. If Joseph, if he prayed to God and God changed his circumstances, he would have not gone to prison. He would have not been treated as a slave. Maybe miraculously on the way to Egypt, someone could have rescued him and he would have been brought back to, to home and the father would have been mad at the brothers. Maybe in prison, somehow there would be a jailbreak and Joseph was loose and his life could have changed. But if he did that, he would have died in a couple years. 
Why? Because what happens right after this is there's a great famine in all over the land. And even if he got out of that house, out of not being a slave, even if he got out of prison, he would have died in a couple years. But what happens? Down the road, when he remained faithful, when he kept his integrity, when he kept his eyes on God, what happened was when he, there was this great famine coming that he saw, that Pharaoh saw a vision, had a dream, and Joseph interpreted that dream, and he realized that there's going to be a couple of years of great years, and what you need to do is you need to prepare and, and fill up all the barns. You have to store up all that food because after those years, there are going to be years of famine. And because of Joseph's faithfulness, what happened in that life is not only Joseph was saved, but his family, 70 people were saved. And you know what's amazing? What happens through that is down the road, Jesus Christ comes out of the line of of. of of uh, a uh, 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 lineage of, of Abraham. You know, Abraham's promise, the promise that God made to Abraham was kept, in a sense, because Joseph knew how to keep his pants on. Do you think about that? I mean, I don't think Joseph was thinking, I need to keep my pants on so that I can be saved later down the road, my family will be saved, and down the road... Jesus Christ can come and die on the cross for the world to be saved. I don't think that's what he was thinking at that moment. But that's what God was thinking. And at that moment, what Joseph simply did was he didn't understand everything. Probably only see one, two, three things that could happen down the road. But God saw thousands, millions of steps down the road. I know a lot of you guys are in situations that you never asked for that you were born in families that are not the most ideal families, that you have a lot of hurt and pain, that you experience a lot of suffering in your life, a lot of injustice. You've been put in situations that are hard to bear. But I think today's text is telling us that regardless of your past or what's going on in your life, number one, a sin is a sin. Just because you had a difficult life does not grant you the freedom to do whatever you want to do before the almighty God. Number two, also know that what you think is suffering, what you think is meaningless and countless years, maybe God is doing something miraculously behind the scenes. Maybe God wants you to know that he is with you right now in the middle of your suffering. The same God who allows suffering in your life is the same God who's willing to stay with you in the midst of your suffering when everyone else is going to abandon you and leave you. Isn't God wonderful? Isn't he great? And I can't help to make this connection because Joseph, actually, although we want to be like him, he's more of a resemblance of who Christ is in our life. Just like Joseph, Christ was betrayed by his own people. Just like Joseph, Christ, he went through all the suffering and pain. He was accused falsely. And unlike Joseph, who, who, was, who, 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 who had a way out, Christ, he actually died on the cross. And when he did that, just like Joseph was exalted second in command in Egypt, Christ, he was exalted above all things. Why? Because he remained faithful in the midst of trials and tribulations and temptations. And so that encourages us 
to remain faithful, that our obedience matters, that has meaning, that's worth it, because we have no idea what God is going to do through our obedience. But at the same time, we know that God is going to do something crazy. Let's pray.